Welcome to season two of The Reflection. We started this series in March 2020 after the announcement of the lockdown and COVID-19 began to change the world. For 20 weeks, academics, activists and journalists joined us to discuss everything from the UK government's mishandling of the pandemic, the growth of conspiracies, Black Lives Matter and what it was like to bear witness to the growth of existing local and global inequalities. For this season, our guests will be reflecting on the political climate of the past year and we'll be talking to authors who have released books in 2020 concerning matters of race and class. This is a trigger warning. This episode at times contains conversations and sensitive material that people may find difficult to listen to. Welcome to another episode of The Reflection. Today, it's just myself and Tiso and obviously George in the studio. Hello. Um, we're going to have a conversation, just the two of us, about what we've been up to over the past um, few months and what's been happening in the news, politics, reflection on the last year, basically, similar to what we do with guests usually. Usually we would do this this episode at the end of the series, but we thought we'd do it sort of in the middle and maybe we'll do another one just the two of us at the end as well because there's just been so much happening this is it i think i think because last year was like a, a year on pause 2021 has gone rapid like there's been so many events we just need to constantly like sort of catch up with ourselves so one of the things i want to start off with is a absolutely incredible exhibition that myself tiso george and tiso's mum went to called war in a babylon the community struggle for truths and rights which is at the institute of contemporary arts and it is an exhibition curated by a london-based racial advocacy and community organization tottenham rights which is co-founded by stafford scott and it's been curated together with independent curators kamara scott and rihanna jade parker can i just say like the curators of this exhibition were in a Babylon oh my days you are phenomenal people like absolutely incredible incredible exhibition yeah it's sick I think it gave you a flavor what the uh, 70s and early 80s was like pretty well right definitely and I guess for us like going with your mum tea obviously mm. she came from Grenada she came in 62 yeah. so walking around with your mum was pretty powerful yeah yeah and obviously like we I love your mum so much <laughs> she's pretty straight talking but she was kind of like yeah, she, she was very moved by yeah. it definitely and sort of there's loads of different sort of labels and stuff mm. and different kind of bits of detail about the Windrush generation that I think when you actually read that as as a person yeah. that was involved and that was there at the time, I think it does kind of, it, it weighs heavy, but also it, it felt like your mum had a kind of like cathartic response to it as well. I think when I spoke to her, she said she sees it differently. And again, it's where she is. She's older. So you're kind of looking back in hindsight and you're putting putting things together, right? And so even when I was there, I can remember like periphery. Like, Do you remember when we watched the video and it was showing Oxford Street? I remember it being like that. And so, yeah, there's like one of the videos, it's yeah, the two yeah. black women talking yeah, yeah. about the police harassing them. Yeah, yeah. And so my mum's saying, she's saying like she she remembers it being that way, but because you're young, you're not actually involved in the struggle. You're part of the struggle. So you, either you're a victim or you know someone, but you don't really understand it from the outsider's point of view. Speaking to my mum, speaking to my dad and older people, they, and they tell you about it, they tell you how it felt. And it's, that's something you can't get from the museum, from, from the um, exhibition, how it felt to be alive around those times, especially being victims of like the sus laws and stuff like that. So the idea that of being, knowing that the police are knowingly against you, that, that was interesting to me because I don't think any 
kid now can talk to, can say from experience that the police are they are actually against them knowingly. My dad said that was a horrible thing. The people that you're meant to trust to harm and help you, they're coming to get you. They're not coming to help you. And he said that wasn't that's an odd thing because we're looking at between that kind of feeling and how, for example, how myself or probably people younger than me interact with police. People will say we don't like the police for whatever reason, but we don't we, we don't actively know that they're coming to get us. And that feeling, he said, can you imagine that feeling? That, that if, you, if, if there's a burglary or something happens, they're not coming to help you. No one's coming to help you. Literally, no one's coming to help you. So the only people that are coming to help you is your community. Mm. And, and that's a funny feeling. And, and again, that's, that's in my lifetime, man. It's, that's a weird thing. I'm just going to read one of the descriptions on the exhibition website. It says, War in a Babylon is an exhibition that's the first of its kind to accurately assess the conditions of black lives across Britain. It will be accompanied by an extensive public programme presented both in Tottenham and the ICA that will include film screenings, community educational groups, talks, cultural events, performances, painting and a digital presentation focusing on the interrelation between artificial intelligence and racism. And just to say that it's been on for over a month now so it started on the 7th of July and it finishes on the 26th of September and we're at the end of August now just before the bank holiday so do make sure if you can get there that you do go because it's honestly like yeah sick I was yeah completely moved obviously as if you're listeners to the show you know I'm a bit um (laughs) I'd get a bit emotional so I was crying as you go upstairs in the exhibition, which is a conversation that I think we want to sort of go on to now, you get the presentation of the new investigation into the killing of Mark Duggan by Forensic Architecture. And I guess this was where for me, like I'm 28, the rooms that were most visceral in terms of my living memory were the Mark Duggan mm. rooms because I just remember it all so well, even though I was in the West Midlands, in the suburbs, like we all were protested. Like it was the same summer as student protests and then protesting against police harassment. It it was really hard looking at that stuff, really, really hard because I just can't believe it's been 10 years. Mm. When the rights, I wasn't even in London when the rights happened. So I was at the manor. So I was a bit more removed again it's, it's, it depends where you are in your life and what's it's, happening. It's, it's mad, isn't it's it? Mad, like right? how like we sort of relate to the exhibition in different <laughs> yeah. ways because like, of that. I was... Um... Intergenerational conversation, guys. <laughs> Tiso is 43 yeah, yeah. and I'm 28. I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, Tiso, but obviously when we were going around the exhibition, yeah. one of your family members yeah, yeah. is uh, Roger. Roger, Roger Sylvester. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah talking yeah. to you and your mum about that and seeing the portrait yeah. of him. Yeah, it's mad. When Roger died, I was, what, 22, yeah. So... When I was at the museum, I felt bad because I didn't really... I remember at the time, I heard about it and I felt bad, but I was 22, man. I was, I was out. Yeah. And then my mum, like my mum went a few marches and things like that. But looking back, in hindsight, I wish I did more. But I was 22, what are you going to do? What could you have done, though? Yeah, it's mad. Like, no, but like I said, I remember people being so upset and everyone being at my nan's for a bit. I was more interested in Moschino. Yeah. <laughs> and Versace shoots, man. So, yeah, it's one of them things. But the whole thing... Is moving and it, my only comment would be is that it's presented as its history it's history in one aspect but it's something that happens continuously yeah i think and, there's that there's that really powerful paragraph isn't there at the mm, end of the exhibition where it basically says look we've presented yeah. these histories but actually oh yeah. they, they quote the sewer report and like actually <laughs> this fucking madness continues yeah. every fucking day. Every day it's getting worse like um, there, there was a there was a guy he's just been convicted a policeman hit those two black kids 
like punch him in the face, kicking him for no reason. Uh, so this is a continual thing. It's not isolated. So when you see the 70s, 80s, 90s and into the 2000s, the story continues, man. It just changed. It's just, it's just not in the same way that you see it. It's, they're not in your face doing sus laws, but it's still there. That's what I want to convey to people. This is not history in itself. It is a historical piece, but it's not history in itself. Just to say as well, like one thing that I really stood out to me about um, the exhibition was the inclusion of black women, which was really mm. powerful and important because sometimes when we're kind of looking at these histories, particularly of black power movements, particularly like within the context of London and the UK, sometimes it can be quite male dominated. But I loved like visualisation and video representation of black women being at the forefront of struggles was just yes, incredible. Yes, man. It's powerful, man. Like um, you can look at it from so many different points of, points of view, man. It's sick. And what's quite interesting to me is the contrast, right? The ICA is on power mail, right? So it sits in the heart of empire. So it's the actual studio sits in the shadow of a statue of Frederick, the Duke of York, second son of George III, right? Round, if you walk up by that statue, you have all the private men members clubs. You have the Reform Club, which is a Tory private member club. And these things are still going. So you, so if you walk up there, you'll see, it looks like, it looks like um, how can I describe it? Mary Poppins, you know, the bankers in suits and there's loads of people. If you walk around the windows, you could see that. So you have this exhibition which shows the black struggle sitting amongst empire to this day. Those extremes are just mm -hmm. so embedded in the history of yeah, so, black and, struggle. Like. And, and, and so when we're talking about this, and I'm, I was saying to George at the time, so people are talking about, they're talking about statues. I'll say, come here and tell me who the statues are. They don't fucking know. They wouldn't for know. Like I said, in the middle of the You know every statue. Yeah. Like, I can safely say, listeners, every time Tiso makes me and George walk everywhere, <laughs> Every time we're walking past a statue in London, Tiso knows all of them. Yeah, but, when, it's on the, when it's on the news, like, oh, don't take my statue. It's like, do you know who that is? But it's just bad history, man. Because if anything that makes you look up, that's deference, right? That's not history. It's, you want to show that you, you remember that person or that person means something to you. Can you explain what deference is? Like, you, like you're kind of, you're, like, they're your betters. Like, you're showing deference. You're deferring to them. For example, there's a, there's a statue just at the end of the mall of Captain Cook. So he's remembered for obviously discovering a few places and getting killed. But Discover discovering, yeah. Well, not discover well, in inverted commas. Finding, <laughs> finding. Like I said, there's in the middle of the park, there's Edward VII is in the middle, war in Babylon. That sitting next to that, that contrast, it's so shocking. Mm. And it's so powerful. You come out, you thinking, right, people take these things seriously, man. But these people have been dying on these streets, man. And in fact, without us, you wouldn't have these statues, right? Mm. So um, it's a madness. One yeah. thing that I want to talk about. <laughs> okay is the realities of Brexit home. <laughs> now, right, so listeners, mm. um, I have just submitted my PhD. Woo, 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 woo. Um, I haven't passed my viva yet. I'll let you know when I have. But it means that I have been COVID responsible way. I have been going out. A couple of friends have got married, blah, blah, blah. So if you don't drink, absolutely fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to romanticise drinking, but I drink. So... One thing that I really like is shots, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think they really take the edge off. Are you going to say, right? is there a shortage of shots? There's a shortage, <laughs> there's a shortage <laughs> of Cafe Patron shots. If you yeah, like, if you know, yeah, if you yeah, like yeah. Cafe Patron, if you yeah. like coffee in drinks, then if you know, you know, so you will know. I'm, I am middle class. So middle class. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, so I really like Cafe Patron. Yeah. Yeah. So I found out yesterday uh, that it might be related to Brexit. 100%. Right, what the fuck? Tell me what's happening. Right, the Brexit reality that was sold to people prior to Brexit, that Britain could emerge from this process being stronger, being able to trade, it was an unreality. Since 1974, you've been you've had such close relations with your neighbours, and in economics, you trade with a neighbour, right? So you're not going to trade with someone. So you you've got these deep trade links with um, all this paperwork and and regulations and process all set up, and you're going to unravel that in what six months, and you're going to be okay. You fucking chiefs. <laughs> you know, you're so like people. It's just, are you dumb? Right. So it's, I'm going to listen. <laughs> I want to say to people this, right? I done way back when I done economics of the European Union, right? I have books at home that no one gave an argument for. I have books about the European Union, how bad it is, and I've never heard one on TV. This is, and I guess, Are you fucking mad? what's really interesting about this, T, going back to the Brexit conversation, is that we started this podcast four years ago, yeah, mm. and it was basically after one of the things. One of the things that George thinks it's five years, but it's not. It's four years, <laughs> listeners. Like, I'm really bad at maths. And I was like, which birthday have we got coming up? And George's like, it's five, it's five. And I was like, uh, no, it's not, it's and then, four. And then I was like, no, it's four, bro. It's four. <laughs> so one of the things, so Brexit was definitely one of the things yeah. of many um, political crises that were happening at the time that we wanted to sort yeah. of speak to. And what is really interesting about this is we have spoken about Brexit for four years intermittently on this podcast in a way that tried to grapple with how it has been used for nationalism and racism. Yeah. We've had critiques of how we've spoken about Brexit because I think we do talk about it in a very, in a kind of Remain-ish way because we don't... Hey, listen, like I'm not going to make no bones, man. That's, that's where I stand, right? Yeah. But equally... I would listen to the other point of view. I said, like, if you can if you can demonstrate a benefit, right, that puts you in a better place than where we are, because you're leaving something that gives you a good arrangement. So you have to show me what what I'm gaining plus more, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't I can't be equal. If you're equal, maybe. Yeah. But I can't be in a worse off position. So you're going to demonstrate. You have to demonstrate that to me, right? Yeah. Because we're in what we're in. What well, we were, what we were in. Right? Definitely. But you couldn't demonstrate that. So you left on what basis? On what basis? What? Oh, because you wanted to protect refugees and asylum seekers. Fuck off. Well, listen. None of you made that point. Hence why we were never going to be in your Lexit, like in the Lexit gang. But oh. there were people, obviously, that on the left that were making arguments about Lexit. That's the mm. left wing mm. Brexit that we stand by, like on this show. Yeah. Like we've had, we've yeah. dedicated episodes and hours to talking to people about the violences of the European Union mm -hmm. and how problematic the European Union is. Mm -hmm. This isn't, sorry, I'm not about to make a case about why, like, why <laughs> we're remain, but all we're trying to say is those cases were never presented yeah, within the media. They were never even presented by the Labour Party properly. Um, Corbyn Listen, had a go, but not I'll, really. I'm so keep it real. And speaking to people in the street, people never said those kind of things. But what, upsets me and now people said keep the muslims out yeah yeah that's what people said this is what I'm saying. people keep, keep the muslims out and like did you think brexit was ever going to bring you less brown people it was never going to do that it, 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 it was just, never going to do that so so i do i know why so there's a there is a lot of people on the left that get really annoyed with your middle class remainers and like the organizations yeah. like the three million people that have been fighting for quote-unquote eu eu rights of people that are born in the eu that live here 
there are so many issues with their arguments because they are not that there hasn't been enough solidarity with people from the global south like it's been very racialized it's been very very entrenched in kind of whiteness and respectability you know how much we've interrogated <laughs> yeah. that and we stand with yeah. always the most marginalized within conversations about um movement and bordering <sighs> however you just can't that you can't it's so hard to explain to people again that day after Brexit, right, and what happened, the racist abuse that black people and people of colour faced, mm. like, almost instantly mm. after that was insane. Like, I had someone spit on me on the tube <laughs> telling me to go back home. Yeah, yeah. Like, and people, people were shouting out their window, oh, you can fucking go now, mm. you can go. Like, you can't, we need to keep just remember keeping that within the memory of what Brexit was. Fucking Joe Cox murdered by a fucking far right guy. But, but you the, see, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't want the left to forget what Brexit is actually about. It's about nationalism. It's about racism. I don't think you'll see it in those forms the same way. But like, I think it alludes to the same. It's connected, like with the when the uh, Euro twenty twenty was on. Yeah, and that moment, just like the day after. It's it's always simmering, but they need something to release. It's like a yeah. pre- like a pressure cooker. Yeah. So we're talking about when obviously the England lost in the penalty yeah, shootout. Yeah, yeah. You saw the racism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight away, instantly. So that I guess I mean we are very critical of the left on this show, even though we are very lefty. But I think that that is something which I just always want to remind people that are trying to develop an analysis of what's happening with Brexit. But anyway, back to my Cafe Patron. So what else has gone? Milkshake, Milkshake, Nando's. What else? Um, Do you know what? Madness. What? Original LucasAid. Original LucasAid. Oh, what? What, as in the orange one? No, the dark dark orange one. So I get the big one. Obviously. That's how man's rolls, right? But uh, anyway, listen, (laughs) you know how hard it is to get? How? I go to Sainsbury's looking for all the time. But Global Britain though, T. No, but, like, what the fuck's Global Britain? Right, so right, so prior to prior, well, there's a lot of swearing in this episode, isn't it? It's because we've got no guest it's because we've got no guests here. We can be we can be uh we can be free. I don't know, I think I, I don't know if it was in Satnam's uh one of Satnam's pieces that Satnam Verdi. Yeah, Satnam Verdi. I think he was talking about how I can't remember who was talking about Global Britain and this will be Brexit will be the Empire two point zero. And this kind of the kind of uh Melancholia uh, for nostalgia. That kind of looking back at the past and thinking, "Oh, this, this can happen." How did they know this? Was, they they knew it wasn't going to happen. That's right. So yeah, going How? back to like the How? basics of this, yeah. right? And you listeners will know, and you yeah. obviously know too. Mm-hmm. I'm a very literal person. I really struggle with people that make arguments which are clearly like just not true. So what the fuck? What right. is their plan? Right. So. I, I've been sitting there trying to grapple with this, right? And I've been texting you about it. Well, 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 been, every, every day, day. So, before so, years. So, so I've been texting you about it, but also like I've been trying to understand it from the point of view, like from the like looking at it, kind of looking at it from the, what, how the Americans see Trump, right? So they clearly lost, but they believe Trump's coming back. Just like the British people thought that somehow they're going to have an empire all over again, right? When clearly the evidence out there tells you the opposite, but these people are clearly invested in this thing and think it's true. So I'm thinking, well, how does that work out? If I can clearly see, why can't you? And I don't know the fucking answer, man. I'm sitting there thinking, it, it it's confusing because, like I said to you, these people are not 
to call them all stupid again would be a disservice, right? Let's be, let's be, let's be real. Some of them, like, they're not. Stupid. I don't think many of them do work. No, no. Sorry, I'm just going to say, I don't think many of them do but, work. I went to fucking uni with some of these guys. That, like, I did not actually the people, but like the sorts of people that run the country. Yeah. They're fucking useless. But, but, but like, I, I'm, try, I'm, I'm grappling with this. Like, like I said to you, they, these people are from some, uh, are some of them on a grift? 100%. But do some of them believe it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Because if, you, if you're doing something purely on a grift, like it would be that transparent. But I'm sure at some level, at some level, they must believe it, man. Because you, you wouldn't have to sell it to people if you didn't believe it, man. Because like when I when I sit there, and I, again, if you if I use the American energy for a point of view for, for a little while, Trump clearly lost, right? 100%. Stop the count. Stop, stop the count. Man says stop, stop the count. Man Listen, says, stop counting the vote. <laughs> he clearly lost, right? And no, and the thing is, on any recount, he actually asked for the recounts, right? And you still lost, but people will still say, and I, I and I've been looking at it the last few days. There's millions of them that that say he clearly didn't lose, and he's coming back. And every time he doesn't come back, there's, they move the goalposts, just like just like with Brexit. With Brexit. Now there's shortages, and people will say, no, nah, no, nah, it's something else. Can That's I just mad. say the other thing as well? So obviously, listeners, you'll know that we're based in. Um, London. <laughs> Sorry, Tiso just tried to put his foot on the table. Like, since when do we do that? No, I know, it, it, just, it just looked really comfy. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. That's that's strike free for you. Sorry, um, sorry. So we're based in London, yeah. right? Mm. And I know we've spoken about this before on the show, but just to reiterate, and it must be happening across the UK. I actually haven't been back to Bromsgrove for a couple mm. of months now, so I'm not sure if it's happening there. The staff shortages. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And people like I swear, people in the government are trying to say it's because of COVID. It's fucking not, yeah. mate. Everyone's left. Yeah, yeah. Like so, no, but it's like listen. When we was at when we was at when we went for something to eat the other day, and we was at sitting down. Yeah. And then the guy goes, so they sat us down, and it's how long did they say we have to wait for someone to come over? He said you can you can come and sit, you can come and sit and have food, but we're waiting for more staff to come, so it's going to be another hour and a half. <laughs> No, they were Wait, like, what? They were like, there's but, literally just not enough people to serve you. But this was in this is in prime tourist area, Tower Hill. So you normally it's overstaffed and there's loads of people. There's still loads of people about. The Brexit reality won't hit people until you actually it affects them in their real life. So uh, another a good example of that was the poll tax. People didn't react to the poll tax till the bills started coming through their door. And this will be with Brexit until it actually affects people in their real life. But I think it is. Do you think it is starting to affect, affect us? Right, it's it's hard to tell, man. Like London, we're in a bubble, right? Yeah, it's hard to tell. Now outside London, who knows, man? Yeah. Like, and until it starts to affect people in a very real way. Remember, like, and the way because people are linked to different media outlets, right? Some people, some people are submerged in far right echo chambers, so they might not even feel it, or they might convince them it's something completely different. Immigrants. It, yeah. Or if you look at one of Field's videos, he said, um. He said the Tory party are blaming the Brexit people who voted for Brexit. What? <laughs> he said that. <laughs> I, and it's how he spun it. I'm like, you could see what they're doing. T, so this is one of your, your this is one of your favourite political commentators on so, YouTube. What's his name? Phil Morehouse. And it's a different kind of bias on YouTube. Like, and he's saying that people, are, so the so, Tory party are blaming people that voted for Brexit. For the current situation. <laughs> and um yeah i feel uh, i said well obviously tune to film you can see how he um uh kind of uh, argues that out but 
Um, I don't know. Like I said to you, given that no one sits in a central media stream anymore, so it's not kind of dictated from one channel. So everyone's got different sources of media. So they might ascribe the kind of shortages to immigrants or the pandemic or whatever it will be, man. I don't know. 2021 is, just seems crazy. I think we've spoken about it on the show once before, but when we've been trying to kind of like rationalise the people that really just continue to say that Brexit's going to be brilliant um, for global Britain. Um, it was in that, one of that, that fucking Bene- um, Benedict Cumberbatch played um, Dominic Cummins in that film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like in the film, it's like, it's like a film about um, how the Leave Party how vote no what's it called vote leave yeah vote leave, leave yeah, 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 yeah. how they how they basically like got a load of voters to um vote for brexit um and all the sort of algorithms they use and in that film um they kind of present what dominic cummins idea was for britain and it was like a technology utopia that was a bit it was like a kind of tax haven so what? T- tell me how. No, so tell me, tell, like, what does that, How does that happen? So, remember, I told you that without without service industry, like, as in, we've got no right. So, what will happen to the UK would be how I always envisioned the UK after Brexit would be a place that was stripped of its importance, but is of historical importance. So people come and visit it. It's, it's like a sideshow, like an attraction, <laughs> and and because it has because globally, Britain's known as a low risk low return thing so people that's why it's a fine institution so you can keep your money here and it'll be safe britain especially london has the most private banks per square inch in the world right so it is known for an investment place so you can come here and your money be safe because our political system is safe and steady and secure so you it will be haven for rich people to come here so if you look at london now super built up right super rich the mega rich live there so it's just like dubai no no political interest but a place where you can keep your money playground for the rich people <sighs> but is it playground for the rich people if there's no one serving you drinks they don't need to right what do you mean like it's all in their little ivory towers man like if you go if you go to like those rich people we don't need us right so sorry i was being facetious right so what happens is the people still live there you're gonna have to work right so let's look how london set up when we had that um that episode with nikki and look how johannesburg, johannesburg was set up so you have to pay the, the people that live out and say, well, I have to come to Joburg to service. Just like Paris and London, you're seeing a, a form of social cleansing. Poorer people live in the suburbs now and you travel into service, the rich the rich areas. You don't live in London because you can't afford to live there. So you leave, you move out. So you do your job and leave. And the rich people stay nice and clean, man. And you can see that. You can see a similar system, man. But... It's depressing. But like, it's like when you look at all the um, all the kind of public property that's actually private in London. So Canary Wharf, King's Cross, they're all private spaces mm. bought by rich people. The opposite one opposite my mum's gaff. He spent he's a guy from Kenya spent I can't remember many billions. He spent re- bringing all these hotels over and buying up all the property. So none of that property now is public. It's all private. But pe- we can walk on it. But it's all private. So this is that shift, man. But so I guess we kind of this kind of falls back onto this idea of global Britain that it was talking about. So this kind of the current I hate it was a crisis because it's overused, but the current situation in Afghanistan shows you how impotent Britain is. We don't have that clout anymore. What tell people like listen from the time from, from the time Russia can come to your country, poison two people, then leave, 
and you're not going to do fuck all about it. What are you going to do? My man just tells you to sit the fuck down. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. <laughs> and you're like that, what? And my man just said, sit down. <laughs> but the, the, the madness is, right? The madness is, this has been ongoing for such a long time. Listen, remember I told you, uh, in, back in 2012, right? 2012, I went to a fucking dinner with the South Korean president, right? In the Guild Hall. So I'm sitting there. And, it, and, and I remember I'm just this. Just going to explain why Tiso did that. T- Tiso's mum works in. Oh, no, she, she was on the council for the City of London, she, she right? She was on the council for the City of London. She was a councilman. So, listen, boom. I'm sitting in there and I'm listening to the My Man speaking about why he's in the UK, why they're doing this treat with the UK. They said, I'm doing it for one reason only because we respect you. Not because, you're, not because you have anything to offer, not because you're a top boy anymore, just because you've done it first. So, they gave the example of the Industrial Revolution, uh, parliamentary democracy. They list all the things that Britain are proud of. But that's it. You're not a top boy anymore. You're not, you're like, you're like the old boy who thought he was a top boy, but your trainers are dead. Your clothes are dead. You're from the 80s, you're dead. But, but I used to rate you because you think you're someone, but you're fully, there's no your place, fam. And that's how it is. Tiso, I am going to give you a Surviving Society mic drop. <laughs> Lovely little monologue there. But it's true, man. Like, like I said, that's where Global Britain is. But people didn't understand that, right? So in Afghanistan, what, what's Boris Johnson doing? Begging, begging. And what's my man said? No. What's the Taliban saying? No. What are you going to do? China say no. What are you going to do? Bro, you're going to sit down and shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was great. Not much hope in that episode, guys, but we hope we entertained you with our political <laughs> analysis of the day. Um, thank you so, so yeah. much for supporting us, subscribing. It's rare that we get to just talk to you directly like yeah, this. Yeah. So, yeah, we appreciate you all so much. It's coming up to our fourth birthday in September. Whoop, whoop. Whoop. Um, and it's actually been, since we became a weekly podcast, mm. it's been two, three years, two years. Two years. Don't, listen, whenever G-Man puts his finger up, ignore yeah, them. Ignore them. G- subtract George, one. George, subtract. Wait, George, time and age is abstract to George. Like, just literally, this guy, yeah, this yeah, guy yeah, does yeah, not know, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, or, 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 or the moon, the George. Moon. That's, that's how George works out numbers. Anyway, um, thank you so much for supporting us, guys. Yeah. And we will see you again see you next week. See you, bye. Thank you for listening to the T's and C's with T's and Chantel. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram.